Good to see you guys. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Isai. Yes, I'm still a pastor here. Uh, somebody asked me in the bathroom the other day, hey, are you still a pastor here? And I'm like, I think so. <laughs> so I have the privilege and honor of leading two amazing teams, the worship team and the production team. And I cannot be up here without just spending some time that us as a community give them a shout out, give them props for the incredible work they do week after week for making this happen. You guys are amazing and we love you. I want to start off by asking you guys some questions, all right? Here they are. What brings you satisfaction in your life? What are the things that make you happy and content with who you are? So you guys know me as the guy who's on keys all the time. I'm a musician. I love music. I love everything about music. I love different instruments, different types of music. I like the whole process of creating music, writing music, producing. I'm an aspiring producer, songwriter. I love doing that stuff. And I'm blessed to be a part of a community where there's a lot of those type of people here. There's a lot of you guys who are about it, and I love it, and I feel right at home. But I'm here to confess something, and that is that we have a problem. We have a, a sickness, an addiction, all right? Um, my friend Kenny, Kenny Miranda, if he's in here, shout out Kenny. Uh, Kenny calls it gas, gear acquisition syndrome. All right? Gear acquisition syndrome. We have this obsession for gear. We love gear. We want more stuff. We want more instruments. We want, uh, you know, more, more plugins, more synths, more keyboards, more everything. You guys are like, what even are those things? We know. Because we spend our whole time looking up new things. And we are, we are all susceptible to it. All right? Uh, Caleb, you know what I'm talking about. Devin, you know what I'm talking about. All right? We have this. We have this hunger. Curtis, you know what I'm talking about, bro. When we get a new guitar, a new instrument, it doesn't matter the cost. The more, the, the more meaningful it is to us. And I will confess that I am the worst one, all right? I love gear. I can spend so much of my time looking stuff up uh, because I feel like if I get, if only I get the best gear, the best thing, the best combination, it'll make the music that I never finish or ever release so much better, <laughs> all right? Um, so I was one of, in one of my late night plunges, all right, looking through. I was just diving into these video tutorials and, and, and reviews and stuff about this particular product. I don't know what it was, but I can spend so much time. And I, this particular evening, I was, I was looking up a, a YouTube review of this particular product, and then I got an ad, all right? Don't judge me. I don't have YouTube premium yet, all right? I, got, I get ads. I got this ad, and usually I get ads for like, Music stuff, all right, like Sweetwater, Guitar Center, that kind of thing. Uh, because the algorithm knows, you know, the algorithm knows you more than you know yourself. Like, it knows you. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but this time, it was different. This time, I got a travel ad, all right, because the algorithm also knows I love to travel. And it was an ad for Expedia. You guys know Expedia? It's like the company that helps you find, like, flights and stuff, hotels. Well, it was an Expedia commercial, and let me just say, I was not ready for it, all right? Let me set the scene. There's this English dude who's walking through 
a bunch of different commercial sets, all right? Like they're shooting different commercials for different things, like a car commercial, a fragrance commercial, a bunch of different commercials. And he's walking through all these different sets, and he's looking at the camera, and he says these words. He says, stuff. We love stuff. And there's some really great stuff out there, but I doubt that any of us will look back in our lives and think, I wish I'd gotten a slightly sportier SUV, bought an even thinner TV, or found an, a trendier scent. I wish I'd discovered a crunchier chip or found a lighter light beer or had an even smarter smartphone. And then he opens a door and he walks into this beach with a beautiful sunset and he says, do you think any of us will look back on our lives and regret the things we didn't buy or the places we didn't go. I was like, oh my gosh, that's way too intense. Like I was not ready. Here, here am I like on this plunge, right? Looking for more gear, trying to get a, a better guitar, a better, you know, plug-in, whatever. I need more stuff. And all of a sudden, this Expedia commercial makes me ask myself some existential questions. <laughs> what is truly going to satisfy me? What is going to make me content? At the end of my life, what is going to really matter the most? And all of us, no matter who you are, how young or old, you ask yourself these questions. Every person in this room and every person around the world has these questions. Maybe you have these questions in your mind, but you keep them hidden. Did you know you can hide stuff from yourself? We keep them hidden, just hidden enough so that we can continue to live our lives and continue to focus on the things that bring us immediate satisfaction. But I want us to face those questions today. What are the things that are going to bring us satisfaction at the end of our lives? What will make us truly content? And scripture oftentimes is a mirror. It's a mirror that shows us who we really are, exposes us, tells us what we really want. Like, that's what you're looking for. It also challenges us and pushes us to live a more meaningful and more abundant life. And here, Paul is talking to Timothy. He's in his first letter to Timothy, his mentee. And, and he wants Timothy and everybody who's reading this to know the truth, the true life, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He is concerned, as we have read throughout this whole series, about false teachers. And he tries to warn us and tell us the ways we can distinguish between who is telling the truth and who is uh, speaking lies. And he calls us to realign ourselves to the things that are most important. And so today's text is found in chapter 6, verse 3. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Is that okay with you guys? We're going to read a lot of scripture. And, and this is so good. Every time people are like, what are you speaking about? I'm like, man, this text is, is fire. I could just read this like three times and be done, and it would be a fire ser sermon. Uh, so we're going to read a lot of this. That's cool with you guys, all right? Chapter 6, verse 3. You guys with me? Kind of? All right, good. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. That, uh, this stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. 
These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. So Paul is calling out these troublemakers who are starting meaningless debates and argument. And specifically, he's talking to people who are using God or godliness as a way for them to become wealthier, to make more money. And unfortunately, this was the kind of thing that was happening back in the day. Uh, we're going to see a story. There's a story in Acts of the kind of thing that, that was going on in Ephesus that Paul is trying to warn us about, all right? They were being told, these people were being told, you need some sort of money, some sort of resource in order to worship your God. And so the story is found in Acts chapter 19. There's a guy by the name of Demetrius. Can you guys say Demetrius? Demetrius, all right? And Demetrius is a businessman. He's a business owner, and what he does is he makes little figurines for the goddess of Artemis, all right, who was really popular at the time. And things were going really well for him, all right? Things were going really well. He would go around and say, hey, you need to worship this god, and I have the product that you need in order to do that. And turns out this was a huge industry. There were people that were dedicating their lives uh, to make these little figurines, and things were going really well, except that Paul, the things that Paul was saying was really throwing everybody off, all right? And it was bad for business. Acts 19, verse 25. So Demetrius gets all the, all the uh, business owners together and has a meeting, and this is, this is it right here. You know, my friends, that we received a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in particularly the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only to our trade, that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So they start screaming this thing. They start going all over town and they actually get a mob together. They go, this mob goes and grabs two of Paul's companions and it's like everybody's at an uproar, all right? My uh, Bible says, you know how it has little titles? It says riot in Ephesus, all right? This is what this story is. This mob goes crazy. They grab Paul, uh, Paul's companions. They go to this theater um, and Paul actually heard this. Paul heard what was happening. He's like, let me go. Let me go talk to them. And everybody who was around him was like, Paul, do not do that. That is a bad idea. You're going to get killed. So Paul doesn't go. He lets his friends <laughs> deal with them. Um, we're not going to deal with that. But verse 32, it says, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander, who was one of the companions of Paul, to the front, and they shouted instructions to, to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So 
the mayor had to come and like calm everybody down. It was a complete mess. And this was the type of thing that was happening in Ephesus. All this confusion, all this tension that was going around in the city was oftentimes coming from business people who were disguised as godly people who really were taking advantage of people's search for meaning just to make some profit. Just imagine being in a lower economic class and being told you need to worship this God. And so, and, and, you, and here's a product you need to buy to do it. So you save a bunch of money. You save what you can. And you, and you spend it on this, on this figurine. And somebody else benefits from it. It's tragic. And this wasn't just happening in the pagan world. This was happening in the Christian world as well. There were people who, in the name of Jesus, would come and say, I have this knowledge about Jesus. I have this thing that you need from me that only I know. It's a secret. And I can tell you if you give me some money. It was messed up. This is the kind of thing that, that Jesus in his ministry on earth, pushed back against all the time. This is what led Jesus to go to the temple and turn over the tables. Do you guys remember that? He says, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So Jesus condemned it then. Paul condemned it to the Ephesians, and we condemn it still today. An easy way for you to spot a false teacher is that they use their position of ministry to make money. And unfortunately, we still see these things today. People making an unrealistic, unbelievable amount of money through ministry. We still see those people. Maybe you've heard it. Like, um, just in, God will bless you, and you if you invest, you know, call the number below. You know what I'm talking about? And, and I get it. Like, it takes finance. Like, finance are complicated. It takes finances to get all things going. And, and we're really grateful for the gifts that you guys have given. It keeps, will keep the lights on. It keeps things moving. Um, and we're grateful for that. But I think I've seen things so outrageous out there that it makes me wonder if that's what Jesus had in mind for the church. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. And then he goes even deeper in verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. We're going to come back to this because that's really good. In verse uh, 9 that his criticism is not just for people in ministry, but people in every industry. And this is heavy stuff, all right? Verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many Sorrow. So now Paul focuses on people who have a hunger, this desire to be rich. People who want more and more and more. And in order to truly, truly understand the criticism from Paul, we need to fully understand the context, all right? So Paul is speaking to Timothy, who's assigned to do ministry in what city? Do you guys remember what city are we talking about? Ephesus. Can you guys say Ephesus? 
Beautiful. You guys are there. So Ephesus was located by the sea. It was a, a, a port city, and this is an area that is now considered modern-day Turkey. It, it connected the eastern and the western parts of the Roman Empire, and it also had some really key roads that would go to some big cities, a road to Babylon, a, a road to Smyrna, several others. So because of its location, this made Ephesus the center of commerce in the ancient world. It was a hub. It was a center for business. It was a center for buying and selling, for trade. People knew this as the place to be. If you want to make it, you go to Ephesus. It was like the land of opportunity. People would look at it and, and, and be curious. Like They would go to, to make something better out of their lives. Maybe we call it in our language the Ephesian dream. This place was appealing. Literally, the word Ephesus actually means desirable. But Paul is exposing something here. He's saying that there's something, there's something hidden deep beneath this Ephesian dream, hidden underneath the busyness and the hustle and the growth. There is this sickness, this addiction. And as Paul puts it, People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped because once you get a taste of that, once you get a taste of a bit more, the temptation is to want more and more and more. And when is something ever enough? And what's stopping me from getting more and more and more? The, the author of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Paul says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And isn't that the truth, friends? I hope that you are catching some parallels here because I believe that Paul's message to the Ephesians is as true now as it was back then. Because I think at this point in your life, you have experienced the excitement, the rush, the adrenaline, the excitement that comes from, from building, from growing wealth, right? From, from becoming something and, and, and gaining more money and the blessings that can sometimes come out of that. Maybe you have like me, at some point longed to be like one of those people, one of those people that society sees as successful. They made it. They are at the top. They are the models of what it looks to be successful, and you wanted to be like one of those people. But maybe also you have believed the lie. You have believed the lie, and you've compared yourself and, and, and uh, measured your own self-worth to these false markers of success. Or maybe you or somebody that you know has fallen into the trap, this trap that Paul talks about, and you are consumed with the hunger for more and more. And I hope not, but maybe you have been a witness to or a victim of the evils that come from the love of money. Because the truth is, friends, that we have created a society that is so hungry, that has an Egypt-like appetite, this Pharaoh-like hunger for more and more stuff. We need to build more. We need to produce more. We need to get more and more and more and more. And nothing ever seems to be enough. And in the process of acquiring all these things, we are destroying our environment. We are exploiting the most vulnerable. And we are becoming more and more discontent with who we are. 
Paul continues, some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's pain. There's sorrow that comes from this. Have you ever felt the sorrow? Have you ever felt the pain that comes from losing money? Last year, uh, I heard rumors and rumblings of this exciting new uh, stock that was on the rise. Now, I know nothing, all right? This is not my area, but I couldn't help but lend my ear. People were going to get rich out of this. The promises were amazing. What if, what if it actually happens? This thing is going up. All the trajectories are looking, the trajectory looking like it's going to go up. And I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. But I, I was curious. Then one of my friends called me and was like, bro, trust me, bro. Trust me, bro. You got to do it, dude. This is going to change our lives. And I'm like, uh-oh. Like, nah, man, this, this is not it. Like, my parents taught me to be better than that and to just go and, and, and invest in whatever thing looks exciting. But I must confess, because we're in a non-judgment zone. Am I right? Amen? <laughs> Safe place? I need to d- double check for a second. Um, I must confess that I bought, all right? Now, two things. One, I'm not going to tell you what stock I bought because I know there's like stock and crypto nerds in here who are going to like come after me a- after church and be like, Isai, this is what you should have done if you looked at this projection. I don't want to hear it, all right? I really don't. I know what I did was wrong. <laughs> Second thing, I put, I, I put very little money in this thing. Very little, like a laughable amount, all right? But for some reason, I was so consumed. I was so in. I would wake up in the morning very early and pull up my app and, like, start reading these charts that I didn't understand, but I was about it. I would, I would read these articles, right, these articles of people saying these terms I've never heard before ever in my life. But I was like, oh, I'm in it. I'm in it. And I, I need to be in the know of what's happening with my little stock, right? Um, and things were going well. I was really obsessed for a little bit. And to my horror, things started not going well. Things started tanking a lot, very fast. And I started freaking out. Um, I found uh, support with my friend who got me into it in the first place. <laughs> was like, bro, no, bro, no, trust me, bro. It's going to happen, bro. Just hold, hold. Do not sell. I'm like, I don't know. I also found community in Reddit. A lot of support there. <laughs> because it's the best place to find healthy community. Go to Reddit. So I was in Reddit on these, like, Reddit forums, right? And, oh, so much support there. People were like, hold. I was getting so much support from memes. Like, like a bunch of memes were popping up. And I was like, yes, like, I'm encouraged. They were like, no, hold, hold. We're going to go to the moon. Like, all of that, all right? All of it, all of it, all of it. Um, the squeeze has not yet closed in, all right? People were, were all about it. So uh, somebody, somebody knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but, guys, it was just tanking, and I freaked out, all right? Because I'm a noob. I don't understand these things. I freaked out, and the little money that I had, I couldn't bear to lose. And so when it dropped to about 50%, I decided to sell. One morning, I woke up. I sold. And later that day, my friend calls me. 
He's like, bro, are you seeing this? I'm freaking out. I go to my app and the stock almost tripled. And I'm like, no, how could this be? I'm missing out. It's happening. The thing is happening. The thing that everybody said was going to happen that I didn't believe was going to happen is now happening. And I started freaking out. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on that. And the thing was going high to the moon, like they said. And like a noob, I bought again. High, really high, really high. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, right? And to my horror, in about two hours, it tanked again. I'm like, what am I doing? What is going on? I'm freaking out, and it caused so much pain. Honestly, I was so stressed. I'm like, why am I so stressed? And why am I always looking at my phone? Like, I was a disaster. I'm freaking out. It, it hurt so bad. It really did. Now I'm like, now I'm gonna not. You know, I'm not going to, I'm going to not go out to eat a couple times to recuperate my losses. It's going to be the worst. I don't know why, like, money has, like, this attachment to your heart that's kind of different, right? Like, it, has, it hurts to the core. It really does. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy who goes to eat sushi, all right, and we go out to an all-you-can-eat place, and I'm doing the math to see if it was really worth it to get all you can eat or to just buy the individual rolls. And I'm stressed the whole time because I'm like, ah, I don't know if it was worth it. I'm totally like, it just hits your heart different, right? People say, put your money where your, what? Put your money where your mouth is. Why? Because oftentimes money is the quickest indicator what you're really about. What you spend your money on can sometimes be the quickest indicator of what your intentions are, what your true intentions are. I, I do want to make one thing clear, all right? I do want to say this, that this critique that Paul talks about is not for, it's not for people who are trying to be wise with their money, all right? It's not. Um, we, we commend that. We commend that. We believe that God has, has called us to be good stewards of what he's given us. And there's people here who have been so wise with their money and who are looking for financial freedom and don't want that to be a stressor in their lives. And that's awesome. That's commendable. There's people who have sacrificed so much, worked really hard for your families to set up your families so that they don't have to be where they were. But you set them up for generations to come. And that's incredible. We celebrate that. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about this addiction, this love, this desire, this thing that never stops, this lie that there is never enough. And we are all susceptible to, to this. We are all susceptible to this because of where we live in our context. How do we not fall? How do we not fall in this trap? I think the answer and the, and the antidote to this is found back in verse 6. Paul says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. In verse 7, I love this, he reminds us that we came into the world with nothing, we're leaving with nothing. It reminds me of, of Job. Do you guys remember Job in the Old Testament? This guy who had everything. He had everything you could ever desire, and then everything went crashing down, and he lost it all. And the first thing he says is this. 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. These authors are reminding us of how fragile we really are, how delicate and, and feeble life is. He reminds us that our exits in life are the same, are identical. Life is a brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. And in doing that, they, they, they force us to notice the things that matter the most, the things that truly have value. And then Paul gives his final instructions to Timothy in his first letter. Verse 11, he says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Uh, gentleness. Fight the good fight for the, for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering, then no one can find fault with you for now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And then he just starts like worshiping, it feels like, like a worship song. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from the heavens, uh, from, from heaven by the blessed and almighty, only almighty God, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die and he lives in the light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. And then he adds this. Teach those who are rich. It's a message for rich people. And I think for all of us too. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Other versions say life that is truly life. Godliness and contentment. That's it. Contentment. Could it be that easy? Being happy, being content? with what you have in every situation? I'll be honest, it's not easy. It hasn't always been easy for me. It's not easy, especially when there's whole industries and billions of dollars poured into reminding you that you need more. You're not, what you have is not enough. You need more and more and more, and maybe these things will make you happy. And I think one of the greatest challenges, if not the greatest challenge for the Western world is to truly break free from consumerism. But when you do break free, there is so much joy. There's so much beauty to life. Have you, have you met somebody ever who's like broken free from it? Who's like truly content and you're just like, you look at them and you're like, how are you so happy? You know, and, and even like, even things, bad things will happen and for some reason they figure out a way 
to be content with their situation. It's beautiful to see. Uh, so growing up financially, there were times that were better than others. Um, and one particular season, our family got together and we decided, hey, for Christmas, we're not going to do any gifts. All right? We're not going to do the presence of our family members uh, uh, is, is enough. That's going to be amazing. Um, but we're, we decided we're going to do a gift exchange, all right? So everybody's going to give one gift, and uh, the budget is a dollar, all right? So everybody's going to buy one $1 gift. So everybody instantly knew what was going on. People got excited. Um, it, was, it was real cool, except my little cousin didn't really understand what was happening. I could tell because he made it really clear to everybody what he wanted for Christmas, which was an Xbox, and he would tell everybody. He'd be like, Isai, Isai, ¿me compras un Xbox? ¿Puedes comprar un Xbox? Tía, yo quiero un Xbox. He would tell everybody. It was hilarious. And also very awkward because it's like, mm, he's not getting an Xbox. And <laughs> Christmas is going to be really weird. Uh, but luckily, I didn't get him for the exchange. Whoever got him sucks for them because they're going to break the kid's heart, right? So we go to the dollar store. We go to the 99 cent store, 98 cents outlet. Y'all don't know about that one. And we, we take our dollar, we buy our gifts. Um, and, and we're really excited. Christmas time comes and we're ready to open up our gifts. And, uh, and we start doing it. And it's such a blast, right? Um, we're getting like, somebody's getting a pack of gum. Somebody's getting like a little toy. Somebody's getting like Mexican candy. You know, it's a blast. And then it's time for my little cousin to receive his gift. And instead of a box that he asked for, he gets uh, this little package that's in the shape of a sphere. All right? And he's given this. And everybody's like, uh-oh, Christmas is ruined. Like, this is going to be really weird because he's going to cry and it's going to be a disaster. He gets this little package and he starts opening it. And he pulls out a beautiful red apple. And he looks at it and it felt like 30 seconds of just like, uh. It was probably like 10, no, like two seconds. He looked at it and he was like, una manzana. And everybody was like, yeah. Like, it was such a beautiful moment. It was so awesome, right? And the party continued. It was so special. There was so much joy. Like, Christmas was not ruined. If anything, it was so much better. It was so sweet because we were in everybody's company. And it was such a blast. There is so much joy when you break out of that. So much joy when you, when you break free of this desire to, like, I need more. There is freedom outside of that. And I don't want you guys to miss out on that. If, if you're probably sitting here like content, like being happy with what, what, you, what you have, how do you begin to do that? I would say the first step to being content with what you have is gratitude. Gratitude. Being grateful for the things that you have. Being grateful to the people around you because you are not here by accident. You are here because you were supported by a group of people, whoever they are, a parent, a teacher, whoever it is, who set you up and who supported you. Grateful for them, grateful to yourself, right? Because you've had the strength to make it this far. 
but most importantly, grateful to God because God is truly the one who provides everything and he constantly reminds ourselves that, hey, I have given you enough. I'm reminded of the text uh, where, where Jesus says, hey, if, if I dress the lilies, if I take care of the sparrow, how much more will I give you, the child that I have made beautiful, that I have created, I will be the provider and the sustainer of who you are. And I hope that we can proclaim that as you think back on these questions, what is going to give you satisfaction? What is truly going to make you content? As you reflect on that, may you be able to look in your life and notice that God has been faithful, that God has provided, he has been our sustainer. One of the names I love for God in Scripture is Jireh, all right, which means a provider. It means that, that, that Jehovah Jireh, every time we proclaim that, we're saying that God has given us everything that we need. And today, we're going to sing this song. At this point, I want everybody to stand up. And we're going to sing Jireh, if you haven't noticed. Such a good song. And I hope as you're singing this, you know that God has been there. Let's sing together. You are Jireh. You are enough. Come on, let me hear you. You are? You are a gyro. You are enough. And I will be content. And I will be content. 